Sometimes when we're transitioning and we're lonely, we will go back to the old self and the old life because it feels familiar. Even if that old life and old self is full of sin and hardship and pain and abuse and trauma and addiction, it feels familiar, but it'll make us more lonely, especially if we now have the new life. So we have to build the positive relationship to be known and understood. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. This week, we're continuing with Elliot's mental health series. As you heard in the last episode about attacking anxiety, Elliot presents a beautiful balance of empathy and action. He acknowledges our mental health concerns. They're valid. They're real. And at times, they can be incredibly debilitating. But that being said, we don't have to resign ourselves to a life constrained by a diagnosis. We can experience a condition, but it doesn't have to define us. I loved how Elliot provided a holistic approach to anxiety, fear, and worry. He touched on all three pillars of love and life mind, body, and spirit. Today, he shares about loneliness. And as he did with anxiety, he provides tangible steps we can take to abate it. Elliot's thoughts on loneliness and how to manage and move through it right after this. Abating loneliness. We're talking about these mental health issues and using assertive action language to how to counter, how to work through these. These are all realities. The statistics bear it. We'll look at it in a minute. So this week, it's abating loneliness. Abating, you'll see in a minute, means to diminish, to find ways to release. Last week, we talked about attacking anxiety. The only thing in creation, the creation account, the only thing was Adam being alone. It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. There's marital context here because of what happens with Adam and Eve, but the scripture here is much more comprehensive than that. It is not good for man to be alone can be a separate statement, and man can be universal here, human beings. It's not good for us as people to be alone. The Surgeon General of the United States right now came out with some startling facts and statements with all kinds of great research. If you enjoy reading this stuff, just Google it and look at all the research they've done. Quote, our epidemic, he's using that language, our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Loneliness is as bad as smoking and has profound effects on mental health, increasing the risks of heart disease, stroke, and dementia. Follows it up with all kinds of statistics that are really quite startling. Epidemic definition. Remember, we talked about the epidemic of anxiety last week. We come right back with the Surgeon General calling loneliness an epidemic, and here is the general non-medical definition, something that affects a large number of population, community, or region at the same time. We know the statistics on anxiety have skyrocketed over the last six, seven years. The same thing is true with loneliness. In 2010, 40% of people surveyed 
said they felt significant loneliness, and in 2022, that jumped up to 58%. Yes, COVID had something to do with that as we are all forced into isolation, forced into non-community, non-socialization, and even the wonderment of would life ever go back to the way we knew it. So certainly COVID had something to do with that, but the percentages in 2010 are still really high. That's why they've nicknamed the 2000s as the age of loneliness. Look at the loneliness again hitting our youth and our college young adults. The anxiety stats last week were pretty startling. Look at these as well. 63% of teenagers and young adults report being very lonely in the last 12 months. This is so ironic. Based on the forced required socialization, our youth have to be involved with. You're with people all day long at high school if you're not homeschooled. You're with people in your clubs, in your teams, in your choirs. There's dorm life. There's all the games, the activities, the events. Judson's a small university, but still, in every single given day on campus, you can run into 300 to 400 different people every single day, and yet six out of every 10 people in this category are confessing significant loneliness. How can this be? Let's get some definitions again to give us a better understanding. Alone means the absence of proximity with other people. Proximity meaning you're close. So the absence of being close with other people. That's just the baseline definition of alone. Lonely means know or understand us. Here's where it starts to get how does loneliness happen within great socialization. When we're walking around and even though we're seeing lots of people, we don't think people really know us, see us. Maybe they don't know our name. I work really hard at Judson to try to remember names as much as I possibly can, and that's difficult. But it's helpful if someone knows our name and maybe a little bit about us, maybe something we like or don't like, something we do or don't do. So lonely is when we are sad, others don't understand us. We'll get to the direction on that in a minute. Then loneliness is the perceived feeling of being lonely. So I'm sad, and now I feel loneliness because I feel alone or not understood. That's a basic progressive definitions. In 1994, Stephen Porges at the University of Maryland came up with this neurological understanding of polyvagal theory, the vagal nerves that are attached up near the brain and now going down all the way through to the lower spine and how those align then, just like we've talked about and just like scriptures talked about, that your head, your heart, and your soul got to be aligned. So he has this polyvagal theory that revolutionized trauma care. This all comes out through trauma and recovery care. And then the findings he had were quite significant. And as I was reading through them again, I'm preparing this again this spring, I started to compare that to Scripture and see how, once again, every time we have these amazing discoveries about the brain, the mind, the body, the heart, Scripture backs it up and is like, I've been saying this for 3,000 years. <laughs> I've been saying this for 2,000 years. We just take some of these things and don't recognize the significance of it. So here's what this professor said. We have sophisticated understanding now of the biology of safety and danger based on the subtle in interplay between visceral experiences of our own body. Visceral means just how our body responds, how we feel that. When you hear terrible news, you know, you sometimes say, I feel like I got kicked in the stomach, punched in the gut. That's because maybe you felt it right there or you have an instant headache. That's visceral responses. So here are all these scientists and psychologists saying, we understand what the body's doing and how it responds to things, especially trauma 
and loneliness and anxiety. And then here's what the reality is about our words, our voices, our faces, and our care for another and how significant that is. It's pretty cool stuff. There's a bunch of them. I'm just going to give three of the major findings. It says, a kind face and a soothing tone of voice changes our feelings positively immediately. Right? Millions of dollars went into that study, and that's what they came up with, but that's one of the major findings. What does it say in Proverbs? Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, what research just said for us today. So trauma recovery, think about all the stuff going on in trauma, whatever the trauma is, and simply a kind face and soothing tones of voice change our feelings positively immediately. Why we talk about all the time, talk to someone you love and you know when you're hurting, when you're lonely. Second major finding, knowing that we are seen and heard by the people around us makes us feel calm and safe. What did we just talk about the definition of lonely was? Not being seen or understood. Here's this great finding. Knowing that we are seen and heard by the people around us makes us feel calm and safe. In 1 John 1 light, as he is in the light, he being Jesus, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What's the correlation there? There's several spots in scripture, this one being the most profound, that the apostles through the Holy Spirit are telling us simply being in fellowship with one another cleanses us just like Jesus cleanses us. Together, we can help each other be in grace and forgiveness and redeemed and holy and being healed through the blood of Jesus, cleansing us from sin, being in fellowship with one another, being seen and heard by the people around us makes us feel calm and safe and actually can heal us, feel forgiven. Why do you think in 12-step groups, they meet together in a commonality of their addiction. We'll talk all about that in a couple weeks. And say, hello, I am, I'm an addict. And instantly there's commonality and healing begins simply by being seen and heard by the people around you. A third one. Social relationships are the front and center treatment key in trauma recovery. Proverbs 27.9. Sweet friendships refresh the soul and awaken our hearts with joy. For good friends are like the anointing oil that yields the fragrant incense of God's presence. Generalized findings from this trauma recovery professor and all the researchers that really changed how we do the neurophysiological treatment of trauma. Sweet friendships refresh the soul and awaken our hearts with joy. Good friends are like the anointing oil that yields the fragrant incense of God's presence. Remember in the Old Testament, they burned incense and had special oils at the altar on their particular confessions or the things they had to do for cleansing, ritualistic cleansing, and that believed to get the aroma, the presence of God came through that. Just like in Ephesians 5.1, Paul says that aroma of our testimony in Christ, that we can be pleasing to smell in a metaphysical way, simply by our friendships and how that matches up with trauma recovery. I found that to be fascinating. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love & Life family. 
What are the three most vulnerable times for loneliness according to research? Here they are right here. We're going to talk about each of them for a little bit. Transitions, fear, and loss. One of the main points last week with anxiety was fear. One of the main points this week with loneliness is fear. I'm telling you in advance, one of the main points of depression next week is fear. Fear messes with us spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, socially. Transitions, fear, and loss. Life is transitions. Literally, that's what we do. All the time, all life long. It's not if we will have transitions, it's how we will respond to them. Right? If we just stopped the message again and just got in groups and started talking, what are the transitions you've been through since January 1st to now? Any transitions? I know so many of you so well from different conversations, I could start naming out these massive transitions we're all going through. So it's not if they're coming, even if those of us here don't like change or don't like things to be different, we know that's not reality. It's how we're going to respond to them. Why are transitions so tough? Why do transitions bring feelings of loneliness? Transitions usually mean some type of change, and then when we're around new people, we don't, they don't understand us the same way. You know that's like when you get to hang out with a friend from like long, long time ago, and maybe you haven't seen each other and don't talk that much, but you can have instant camaraderie and connection immediately because you understand each other, you know each other so well. So when you have a transition and you switch churches or switch schools or switch jobs or switch neighborhoods or switch all of it, new people aren't going to understand us right away, and that can make us feel alone even if we're in a big crowd, and transitions are necessary for development and growth. Dr. Jerry Kane used to always give to the new freshmen and the, the parents on orientation weekend. He used to tell, tell the story of the golden eagle. And the golden eagle is a very special type of eagle, but literally the mother eagle shoves the baby out of the nest. That's how that eagle learns to fly. Takes care of it, nurses it, raises it, sits on it, feeds it, and then boom, transition. <laughs> you are going off the cliff until you fly. It's necessary for development and growth. Transition in Scripture. All of God's key leaders went through major transitions. Just look at that list. Most of you know your Bible well. Think of Abraham's transition. Moses, my goodness. Joseph, David, Ruth, Esther, Mary. How about Jesus? Any transitions for Jesus to go from carpenter to savior? How'd that go over in the neighborhood? What Nazareth want to do? Like the golden eagle, Nazareth wanted to kick him, throw him off the cliff. That's how they took that transition for Jesus. Peter and Paul. Remember how Peter did not want to include the Gentiles, did not want to eat unclean meats. And Jesus was pushing Peter off the cliff, just like the mother eagle was. And then Paul, of course, goes from killing believers to leading believers. Those are just those key leaders. We could look through all of Scripture. How about when we have our new life in Christ? A couple significant verses here. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. So all of us, when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, automatically go through a transition. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Then Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Jesus says through Isaiah, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Many times, those transitions that come upon us that we didn't seem really, really difficult and often are really, really difficult, those are the ones we can look back on two, three, four, five years later and say, thank the Lord they happened. 
But in their moment, in their consternation, in that great change, we're normally not feeling very happy. We're like the eaglet plummeting down the cliff trying to find our wings. New life translations and transitions. So how do we abate loneliness then in transitions? Here's three major points. First, the definition of abating. Something becomes smaller and less intense. So to abate something means we're going to make it smaller and less intense. Well, how do you do that if it is intense? How we frame it, how we view it, how we perceive it. Angie got a call from a good friend of ours whose child is not going to be allowed to go back to the school where they used to be. And the mother called Angie. Angie's tutored this family for a long time, and they're frantic. And Angie and I thought the exact same thing. We must trust the Lord in this movement, just like we had to do with our children when certain things with schooling went awry and not the way you had it planned. We must see it in God's lens immediately. God must want this, must need this, must move that, even if it's partly based on our own sin. And that's how things become smaller, because we put them in the sight or the lens of the Almighty to build positive relationships to be known and understood within our transitions. Notice the key bold blue word there, positive. Sometimes when we're transitioning and we're lonely, we will go back to the old self and the old life because it feels familiar. Even if that old life and old self is full of sin and hardship and pain and abuse and trauma and addiction, it feels familiar, but it'll make us more lonely, especially if we now have the new life. So we have to build the positive relationships to be known and understood. And then lastly, sometimes we have to pursue others or allow others to pursue us. Don't we get stubborn sometimes? There's a new coworker and we're like, that, that lady's got an attitude. You have no idea. You just think automatically, they got an attitude. Look at her shoes. Why would you wear those shoes to work, right? Or that guy thinks he's so cool. We automatically have this perception of others and we put up this little wall or this little front especially in transitions, that blocks us from the very thing we need to abate the potential loneliness. So sometimes we have to allow ourselves to be pursued. Other times we have to pursue new relationships. Lo and behold, that fits the certain general's quotes. The antidote to this loneliness crisis is the need to rebuild the social fabric of this country through social connection. Isn't it fascinating like when the worlds say these kind of things? This isn't full of biology and science. The antidote to the loneliness crisis is the building social fabric of a country through connection. In a separate lecture at school, which many of my students here this morning have heard at nauseum, social media does not create connection. It does not create community. We think it does. We think it, uh, it will, but it won't. It's all secondary intimacy and actually makes us feel more lonely, more separate, more disconnected, despite the ease of what seems like relational connection. Our satisfaction and joy in life is directly related to our satisfaction and joy in our relationships. Elliot and I are here to help. We'd love to design a workshop, seminar, or weekend retreat for your organization. We'll bring the psych research, of course, along with over 60 years of combined experience in psychotherapy. We'll share science-based therapeutic techniques within the context of a Christian worldview. We can level up in our relationships. Contact our producer, Tim May, at tim at loveandlifemedia.com to book us. Fear. 
I tried to give it a new angle this week since we already attacked it last week. Fear is one of the seven primary experiences it regularly. Transitions bring fear. Change brings fear. It's not if we're going to have fear. It's how we are going to respond to it. Those of you who've been around babies or had babies or babysats or anything else, right? You know the different cries the baby has. These are all things brand new to me when we had our kids because, trust me, no one asked me to babysit the first 25 years of my life. So I was around babies for the first time when we had our four in a hurry, and you very quickly learn which cry means what. Which cry is angry cry, which cry is sad cry, which is startled cry. You learn those different cries, and when a baby has the fear cry, what do we do as parents, aunts, grandparents? Love, pick them up and snuggle. We love them. We touch them. That matches all the trauma research again about how important it is simply when someone's going through those struggles to touch them appropriately and gently and soothing words and a kind face, that abates fear instantly. Some of you did the neurological uh, quick workup with Tim last week and saw how simply breathing abates the fear and the noise in your brain. Same thing is exactly true with breathing and fear if you try that as well. You're feeling the fear, feeling the panic, the same type of breathing will subside and abate that fear immediately. God's lens here, what am I really afraid of and why, and start putting it in a different perspective. Fear in the Bible, we're told what to fear in Scripture. We're told to fear God, not fear like he's going to condemn us or kill us. Have reverence for him. Remember what happened every time an angel shows up in Scripture? Even people like Joshua, the best military man of the Old Testament, face first to the ground. And what do the angels always say every time? Fear not, because they're so magnificent, so much power, so much illumination. The very first message from them is don't be afraid because the reality of an angel is fearful. It'll produce fear. They show up in here right now, we're all going to be scared. So we're told to fear the Lord. We're told to fear evil. How many times in scriptures does it say flee the evil when you feel it, when you know it? If you get used to discerning it, you can walk through the aisles of Jewel and you'll walk by someone and sense evil. And I'm not condemning that person. I'm just saying when you're around it, sense it, understand it, you can feel it. Immediately, if that happens to me, I will pray for that person, even though I'm not likely going to talk to them. But immediately take it to prayer, to counter your fears through the lens of Christ. We are told to fear the Lord and fear evil, and we're told not to fear pretty much anything else. If there's other areas of fear, it's fearing our own hearts prone to evil and prone to sin. Fear the decisions or choices we can make. Here's one of my favorite fear counters in Scripture, Isaiah 41.10. The Lord says through Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Recognize the context. Isaiah is prophesying to Israel when they're in a world of hurt and a world of trouble and heading for massive captivity because they're being really inappropriate and sinful. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That kind of verse needs to be tattooed in our heart when we're afraid. And the reality is there's circumstances in all of our lives that are worthy of fear. And in all of us, so we're going to have fear. And Jesus says, fear not, I'm your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. 
Sometimes going back in our, our life and saying, oh, I remember when I was really afraid of this, and look how the Lord came through. I remember when I was really afraid of that, look how the Lord came through. Going back and remembering these covenantal healings the Lord did can help us in the current one, even if the current one feels way worse than all the others. The greatest counter to fear in Scripture is our faith. Psalm 112, 6-8, their circumstance and others will never forget their example. They will not live in fear or dread of what may come, for their hearts are firm, ever secure in their faith, steady and strong. They will not be afraid. Their hearts are firm. That's great metaphysiological phrasing. Because our hearts are vulnerable to fear, vulnerable to sin, vulnerable to anxiety. And the Lord's saying here through the psalmist, our hearts are firm and secure in our faith. So baiting loneliness with fear. When we fear being lonely, we'll become lonelier. When we're afraid of being more lonely or afraid of this transition coming with a whole new group of people, and so we start to isolate ourselves or not go out and make new connections, we're going to become lonelier because of the fear of being lonely. You follow that? I'm not trying to do word gymnastics. So when we're lonely, we must seek the Lord in our faith first and feel that connection, those of us who believe, we will strengthen us, comfort us, and heal us, and that will always include other people, other godly people, and then even in the midst of transitions and the fear, walking forward, saying hello. One of my biggest pet peeves on our campus is people walking around campus with their pods in or their phone and never looking up at anybody all the way from one part of the campus all the way to the other. And so being the social person I am anyway, I will say hello. I will literally cut them off in the path and wave and make them say hello. And I'm not trying to be some miracle worker. I just know the truth about psychology and the Bible, how important it is to make these social connections and say hello. I would almost guarantee that the majority of people on our campus who walk around with the pods in or with the phone and never looking at people are the ones reporting loneliness. And their behaviors are doing the actual things that are promoting what they're fearing and afraid of and hurting from. We have to make choices and smile and connect with people and talk with people even when it feels afraid. The last one is loss. Transitions, fear, and loss. Loss is a part of life. It happens all the time. Then again, it's not if we will have loss. It's how we are going to respond to it. Most common losses. Death. End of relationships, job change, moving, change in community, change in health and activities. Again, research would tell us that all of us have gone through every single one of these within the last couple of years. Might not be moving something or moving somebody or being a part of that move and some type of change in community, health and activities. Did anybody take more steps this week than last week after our big talk about anxiety and our movements? Eric did. Way to go, Eric. Sweet. A couple Karen did as well. I was trying to work very hard on it also. Same type of thing here in these common losses and the response to them. Nature, conversation, moving, talking. When we mourn a loss, it's appropriate. Sadness is another one of our primary emotions. It's appropriate to be sad, to cry, and some of us like to do that a little bit alone. Some of us would rather do that with people. Either way, of, to others about those losses are still what's important. That's why funerals happen. That's why they started all these years ago. 
Have you ever been like me and like, I don't like to particularly be sad. Why do we have to go to all these funerals and talk about the very sadness we're already feeling and the very loss of the person we're already dramatically impacted by? It's for these reasons. To do it in community, which we know is healed, heals us. To talk about it, to be all in commonality about how we're grieving the loss of our friend or our family member. Look at your life now and how many of these losses are involved. Transitions and fear equal loss. All changes have old things associated with them. Fear inhibits us and blocks us from the transitions of what could have been. So sometimes it's not the loss that occurred, it's the loss that we don't take. We have an opportunity to do something, but we don't feel confident enough or supported enough or encouraged, and we don't do it, and then we have another loss about what could have been. Those losses are also significant and usually connected with transitions and fear. Loss and grieving increase loneliness. So loss and grieving combined increase the loneliness. The greater the relationships, the experiences lost, the greater the loneliness. The greater the relationships and experiences lost, the greater the loneliness. Through a bunch of work with counseling marriages and marriages that are struggling, and it was a really difficult week last week, three marriages, all three look like they're heading for divorce. Those are difficult conversations. Those are difficult counseling. I'm no miracle worker. I can't make their marriage survive. Sometimes they need to separate. And talking with the spouses, research says minimum two years to kind of move through the mourning and grieving process of a marriage relationship. The longer that marriage, the longer the healing. The greater relationships experience loss, the greater the loneliness will be about that loss. The greater the loneliness from the loss, the greater the need to talk with others about those losses. And we all feel this way, right? I don't want to burden someone with my heartache. I've already been sad around them all the time. I don't want to be sad around them again. That's nonsense. That's the evil one telling you to feel this alone and just cave it in. All of us like to do that for our best friends, don't we? To be there for them. We're not burdened by them, and if we are, we'll say something. But we rob each other of the blessing of caring for each other in those needs, in those losses, when we deny it. So how do we abate the loneliness with loss? First with Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anybody weary and burdened right now needs to go to Jesus. Rest will look different for different people. Rest for me is doing lots and lots of things. Rest for others will be to totally chill and just read a book or watch a bunch of movies or something. That's fine too. However you need to rest, however your body rests well, you need to do that and trying to mix that or Base that with a symbiotic movement with scripture or prayer or music can be quite restful. I need to be kinesthetic for my rest, but even when I was staining my deck yesterday, I was praying, I was going over the message, I felt very one with the Lord, even though I was doing something that people go, that's not very restful to stain your deck. Well, for me it is. Abating loneliness then with other people. Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that, very conditional, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction also. I've done counseling type things with many of you in this room, and we've talked about this very aspect. No matter what pain or trauma you're going through, I promise you now, I've been doing this for 35 years, not only through my own life, my own trauma I created for myself, but through that recovery and then becoming a therapist and a pastor, whatever you're going through right now, the Lord will use it to benefit and bless others if we allow it and if we pursue it. 
And sometimes we're embarrassed. We don't want to share our stories of lotion. And that's the very thing we need to do the most to share it. Under the right people, under the right trust, the right grouping, and get that connection that the Surgeon General and all the research says heals us, helps us not be alone in the midst of our pain. Abating loneliness summary. Transitions, we need to build positive relationship with Jesus and with godly people. Fear, seek the Lord in faith, seek others and allow others to seek you. Loss, we need to grieve the losses and find comfort in Jesus and other godly people. That's part of the reason we do church. Small church, big church, house church, in between. To abate loneliness. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day here in Hebrews was in reference to the day of the return of the Lord. And for many people in that era, they were a little confused or maybe they were just anticipating and hoping it was coming soon and they'd quit living. They essentially quit their jobs and quit doing things. They were like, well, Jesus is coming back any second now. And Hebrews is referring to, as you see the day approaching, be even more diligent to then be with each other in worship, connection, and abate loneliness all along. I want to go back to Psalm 22 then here in close. Listen to the second half of this psalm. David says again, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet, here comes the reframe for David. Here comes his pursuit. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. He's going back to recognize all that he'd learned as a little boy. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. And you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. David wrote this after he'd been anointed to be king, by the way. After he defeated Goliath. After he'd been number one musician in the temple. He's writing this. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. He was hiding in the caves. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. Then he switches perspective again. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you may have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is year, and there's none to help but you. That's part of the reason I love David so much. The rawness of his emotions on both sides. His deep theology and his deep love of the Lord and trusting him, and yet he was so free just to be angry and upset and hurt. To be lonely. To be confused. To be scared. Heavenly Father, like David, there's many times we felt lost, forsaken, mocked, despised, scorned feel like we have no family, we have no connections, we have no one who fully understands us, no one who really knows us. And yet, Lord, your word says that you do, and you not only want to know us, you create us and infinitely create us to be who we are. We're all made in your image. We're all made with the capacity to worship you. 
to bless others with how you've blessed us, to comfort others after you've comforted us through our own affliction. And loneliness, Lord, is an epidemic. There's loneliness right here in this room right now. We want to abate loneliness, Lord, with Scripture, with your presence, with your heart and soul, and with your spirit, and with each other, with other believers in our community. May we be honest and open and share with one another. You are holy. And you will make us feel whole even when we're alone. Amen. Thank you as always for sharing a portion of your day with us. We're so grateful to have you as part of the Love and Life community. And we appreciate you sharing the program with friends and family. Thanks again. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.